Uh, well, I, I got vaccinated on Saturday. Oh, you feel a bit uh, peaky? Yeah, really peaky. Yeah, first, first jab or first? First. Yeah. Oh, 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 he's putting a, oh, he's putting a shawl around his shoulders. The shawl shows how he is. The tassels yeah. on the end of it. I've been through all the phases. Uh, I denial, had, anger. Had a sore arm, and then I got a bit cloth-headed, and then I was really achy, and then my nose started streaming. How uh, did you know I, you were cloth-headed? Uh, because I couldn't think. Like you never get like that when you're ill. Like you just can't think properly. Horse going past there. Oh, I think it's Black Bess, uh, and the horse is called. A little joke there. And the horse is called. Uh, I think that's Armageddon. I think that is Armageddon. Yeah, good horse. Good solid horse. I would only name a horse Armageddon if I had four of them. She has you know four. I mean? of, she has four. You've got four horses. She's a she's a four horsewoman. She's a four horsewoman. Yeah, uh, and one of them is told. Is one? Is, is there an apocalypse? Is is the, yeah. is is the youngest one told the fourth the fourth horse? See, I'm cloth headed. <laughs> the, the vaccine. <laughs> can't do anything, man. It's the vaccine. It's totally bad. Totally if you didn't know, Steve, uh, that the shawl is drinking lem sip. He's ill. He's ill. Drink, so just just pander to him. Drinking coffee. That's not. That's lem sip. It's coffee. Hot water, honey, and lemon. That's the answer. I assumed as I dialed in that he'd come up with some excellent new way of Look dealing with the acoustics Look. and he was going to put a blanket over his head to Did make that sure. Work? Typical that ill man. Look at him with his no, no, no. shawl with tassels it's not, on it. I'm not. I'm That's not a got, rug. Put, put, put it over it is a, of course, it's a rug. I don't have a shawl. <laughs> oh, put it over on. your legs. Go on. Tyrone Mings. <laughs> <laughs> or a sheepdog. The, the, um, the shawl is not because I'm ill. The shawl is that we're in Kate's parents' house and it's freezing. <laughs> I know, but if you're ill as well, you're probably feeling the cold a little bit more than. No, that bit's gone. That, that was. Oh, Sunday. that's gone. That bit. That yeah. was Sunday. I'm now yeah. on um, fever. I, I'm no. I'm just on like blocked nose. So I think we're kind of reaching the end. Yeah, but if you keep keep having it up as well, just hard really <laughs> yeah, ill. <laughs> keep doing no, that, like that. Yeah, I can't. Fascinating because that, uh, I get no sympathy. Three of us. The, the last week, last week's pod uh, was preceded by three of us having the COVID vaccine and to a certain degree all of us at least appreciating that there are symptoms thereafter yep. <laughs> Rory Rory has it and we spend at least five minutes talking about yeah. it. So we well, should. You want to milk so it a bit <laughs> So hang on, are we, are we now all partially vaccinated? Chinch is full. 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 Chinch Fully is full. vaccinato. Excellent. This is great news. I don't know whether it is. Does it, what, what does it change? What, what does it well, give it, me? It's made me feel a lot worse, Chinch. So. Are you I just, sure you're from Yorkshire? Certain. I'm from, look, you, this is exactly what I mean. So, I've, I've, you know, I, I shouldn't be made to feel bad for having side effects for the vaccine. That is, you can't. I think if can't. I walked into Oakwell last night with you, those Bully Yorkshire fa- would not have would not have sensed there's a fellow Yorkshireman in the house. They would have and done. I said, "Who's that big girl's blouse? Who's got a, a woman's old lady shawl over his head?" Not a that's shawl. Not, it's that's a rug. not a Yorkshire attitude. It's a rug. Because it's cold in this house. Is that a rug off the floor? You've wrapped round yourself. It's not a floor rug. It's a sofa rug. That's not a rug, then, is it? It's a throw. 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let, let, let's get it right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, it's not an item of clothing, is it? You know, what? I refuse to believe I've done anything wrong here. I refuse to 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 believe that I am. That this is anything other than persecution. Not at all. Not. It's your reaction. It's it's just I'm surprised at how how pathetic. I, I thought you were tougher than this. I thought you were one tough mother. <laughs> 
but seemingly not because you're making all these complaints, you're putting curtains around yourself. I don't know what you're playing at. What's going on? This is Set Piece Money, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. I'm Hugh Ferris. Joining me are Stephen Wyeth, never headed a goal in his life. Rory Smith, never been a Brazilian goalkeeper. And Andy Hinchcliffe, now with as many famous headed goals as a Brazilian goalkeeper. Still, I'm on a par with a very famous Brazilian goalkeeper. I'll take that. He's on a par with me. That's, That's the, the way to thing. look at this. That's the first yeah. thing that occurred to him in Absolutely. all those celebrations. Uh, the food is, does anybody have any food they'd like to share with us? Does coffee count as food? No. What about Rory? What have you had, Rory? Because you've not been too well. Have you had? Just what, have you been sip. able to keep anything <laughs> down? I've not, I've not even had any Lemsip. Oh. Or paracetamol. No. Actually, oh, I'm just, not just battling through. I'm not dealing with Carb this. Carb loading. Oh, is that the Roy Keane of this podcast? He's just going to run through brick walls for us. And the football is, Chinch, do you know what we're talking about today? Uh, is it players who wear a kind of foundation and stuff and guy line? Is it football makeup? That's what I, that's what I took from the, from the messages I received. Is that, which again is an area that I'm quite interested in. That is even more tangential than your previous efforts over the course mm. of the weeks. We are talking about squad construction. Anyone who's ever played oh. football manager or heard Jose Mourinho say in the heady days of his first spell at Chelsea that he wanted two top-class players in every position will appreciate that squad construction is a consideration of all elite managers, those who have the luxury of either money or choice. Mourinho had money, but international managers have choice. And these are the choices they'll be making over the next couple of weeks, unless you're Roberto Martinez, and has already named his 26 uh, so that he can get back to his feud with Rory, as the European Championship coaches whittle down their selections. So, who do they pick and why? And how much does it matter that they fit into the overall squad construction rather than just being the best bunch of players? Oh, and there's a little less whittling this time, so we'll talk about that too. That is to come. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook and YouTube, or you can get in touch via email at setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Patrick Halliday is back with us. Gentlemen, Patrick Halliday here from Burlington, Vermont. <laughs> I am tapped out on witty doppelgangers for the four of you, so I'll move, I will move on to the requisite, though heartily felt, appreciation of work well done. On my Wednesday afternoon run, the only one of the week I truly look forward to, I mentally sketched an email that I summarily dismissed after Andy's truly marvellous Reachcliff opus. Though humble to a fault, Andy's talents are wheels within wheels. I can't <laughs> wait for the next instalment. Then, two days later, I read Rory's weekly newsletter in the New York Times with a coda hyping SPM and the pronunciation of squirrel. My inchoate email was once again relevant. You must understand that for a certain sector of Americans, being referenced in the NYT, however cursory, is a signifier of having made it. As the initiator of the great squirrel scrutiny, I am claiming that Rory's illusion is such a reference. Now, twice in my life, I have had such an oblique citation in the Times. 30 years ago, I was referred to, though not by name, as a helpful young man in a travel piece. I submit for consideration then a new category of faithful correspondent, one who introduces a topic that has legs, but whose legs carries the pod in directions far afield of the stated purpose of set piece menu, which of course the discussion of English motorway travel plazas or whatever you call rest areas. And as a squirrel thoroughly and completely <laughs> distracts from whatever faff <laughs> occupies that dog's mind, such listeners who introduce fecund tangents to SPM might be granted squirrel status. Yes. This would include listeners who prompt discussions of Allen wrenches, managers most likely to, or indeed Jose Mourinho. While buffaloes are majestic, powerful animals that sustain cultures across Western North America for millennia, the squirrel, a rat with a bushy tail, acknowledges those of us whose contributions are wrapped up to look pretty, but are really 
rodential. Not sure if that's a word, but that might start a whole new stream of conversation. And if this proposal is accepted, I would be honoured to be that initial squirrel. Keep up the good work. Seriously, though, your podcast is without question the best on any topic I have ever encountered, says Patrick, massively burying the lead in his final sentence. <laughs> uh, be well, Patrick Halliday, Burlington, Vermont. Will we anoint Patrick our first ever squirrel? Can I, can I suggest a slight tweak? Please do. Could we have red squirrels and grey squirrels? <laughs> okay. Oh. Go on. So the red squirrels are the people who, who suggest f- fecund. I think it's fecund. Is it fecund? I thought it was fecund. I thought it was fecund. Yeah. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm making an idiot that myself might... in my shawl. <laughs> you are real, so you are real, and you're not. You're not. You're not thinking clearly. I'm not myself. Um, the red squirrels will be the people who, who sort of organically suggest these topics, and the grey squirrels will be the invasive types who do it on purpose just to get the status. Ah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, Patrick, you are our first red squirrel. Exactly. Now, our last two parts have been on player pathways and then player priorities, so we have some correspondence that relates to both. First, to Sam Hartford. Hello, Jimbo, Rafa, Julien, and James. Wait, sorry, that's the other one. Following my listening to SPM 229's exemplary deconstruction of player pathways that Joel Matic will forever remember, uh, more than we did, as the springboard to spending his twilight years at Real Madrid, I started drafting an email. Then you did part two and managed to address the sum of that email's parts, but I'll retain this observational side note about a perceived stepping stone club becoming a dominant force or a perceived good squad addition turning into an elite player and that club's most valuable asset. Take, for example, number one, Mo Salah. He will have joined Liverpool thinking if I perform sensationally, which he duly did, a move to Real, Barca or Bayern would be in the offing and seen as his pinnacle. Yet his signing coincided with a resurgence of the club, which soon placed them atop the European elites, knocking two of those three out en route to the Champions League and him regarded as one of the world's best. He essentially achieved the end game by skipping a level. Yet within the space of nine months, he may once again be eyeing up one of those original endgame suitors. And whilst selling Salah might have been unthinkable to a previously dominant Liverpool, it may now be closer to a necessity for an attacking rebuild. And two, Paul Pogba. Inversely, in the context of the time, his move to United could have been seen as a destination signing, one where he could feasibly have expected to be challenging for the Premier League and European titles on the regular. Yet regardless of his own fluctuating performances, within three years they were toiling in sixth and he was still being asked to spray balls into utility striker Marouan Fellaini. Pogba and Mina Raiola have always had Madrid in mind, but the conditions of United's mediocrity accelerated the pathway to him wanting out. Fast forward to this time last year, he was potentially seen as expendable to the club, having been usurped by Bruno Fernandes. Now he's seen as an integral part in a resurgent team and probably no longer looking to Madrid with envy. All the best, fellas. It's a joy to listen. Uh, that's from Sam. Next to Craig Callahan, who chimes in on the player priorities episode last week that focused on Harry Kane and Jack Grealish. Juan de, George, Terry and Keith, says Craig. After listening to Chinch wrestle with hypotheticals on the last pod, I couldn't help but think of a possible one uh, and an added factor to the Harry Kane discussion. Despite there being plenty of reasons to compare Kane with Alan Shearer, it seems Kane actually idolises and hopes to emulate someone from another sport entirely. Tom Brady. Does Tom Brady leaving the New England Patriots, the team he'd been with his whole career, and going on to win the Super Bowl with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers make Harry Kane more likely to believe that the grass might actually be greener on the other side? There is one key difference in that Brady left the elite trophy-winning club for a club with potential and Kane would likely be moving uh, for more of a guarantee. But I can't help wonder if the manner in which Brady's reputation has been enhanced by leaving the Patriots will make Kane less inclined to be a one-club man. That's from Craig. P.S. Looking forward, says Craig, to the four of you saving the UK art scene by treading the boards in the multi-award-winning Jack Reachcliffe stage show. 
Always looking for offshoots. That's good. So that's the Kane email. Another called The Grealish Complex has come in from Robbie Wells, who is neither Robbie Walls nor Bear correspondent Robbie Harms. Hi, fellas. I wrote this email after your original episode on Player Pathways and rambled so badly that I deleted it. So I'm glad you've done the pod that you were meant to do the previous week so I can have another shot. Jack Grealish is an outstanding player for Aston Villa, but seven years after his debut, his worth to another team has never been greater than his worth to Villa. That sounds obvious, but usually there is a price that will force a club's hand. The first time Grealish was mooted with a move away, he was valued by Spurs at £3 million plus Josh Onoma. But Villa knew this kid was going to be pivotal to getting them back to the Premier League. The year after, his value was £20 million, no takers. Then £35 million in the year going back into the Premier League, no takers. One year in the league, £50 million, no takers. Notice the pattern that every year gone, he seems like he'd have been a snip in the previous summer. Now he's valued at around £80 to £100 million. Who could afford that even before COVID? United, City, Chelsea, Rashford and Foden stand in his way in his preferred left-wing role at two of them, and costly purchases of young talent from the continent stand in his way at Chelsea. He's not a necessity for any of those clubs, certainly not at the price quoted. Which goes back to player pathways. Grealish and his agent Jonathan Barnett would have surely foreseen the difficult ways out of the club, so I continue to sign contract extensions to sit in there for five years at a time. He's contracted to Villa until he's 20 another four years. The answer is, I suspect, he could not bring himself to be the villain. Couldn't escape the pun, he says. If next season he is great again, his value goes up again, along with his age and inversely his potential value, and is ever more uninteresting to an elite club. My belief is that Jack Grealish, by being faithful to his club, is going to have to accept that he is perpetually priced out of a move. Ciao, says Robbie Wells, not walls or harms. P.S. Loving Reachcliffe. Now I can see why a seven England cap superstar hangs around with a bunch of no-cap nobodies. With Rory's print connections, Hugh's advertising voice, and Stephen's social media savvy, he has a number one, <laughs> number one hit bestseller in his future. Your thoughts on those three uh, emails, gentlemen? That's a great point on Grealish. It is. I've not thought. I've not yeah. thought of that, and it, it is a really clearly puts him in a difficult position where he may well end up being attractive to a club that he wouldn't necessarily covet joining and it becomes a, a case of whether Aston Villa can usurp the likes of Tottenham and Everton mm. in the table as to, to whether he's going to be able to go on and, and achieve individually what he's capable of. But it, it does it does speak a little bit to, to one of those things that we mentioned last week uh, about clubs having to sell, have it, have it, clubs having to have a sensible selling policy effectively. If you, it's fine because Drillish is a Villa fan but if Villa had a player of that calibre who wasn't a Villa fan, who didn't have that, that emotional connection to the club, and they were effectively pricing them out of the market, that would then make it more difficult to bring other players to Villa. I think that's that's where they fall down. Grealish's situation is complicated because of his emotional bond to the club, that he he will want to do the, to do the right thing by, by Villa, regardless of what happens. And so he'll probably tolerate being priced at an absolute premium. But yeah, I think... Of all this, I mean, I think Grealish is a fantastic player, and I think he would improve any of the traditional top six. But at that price, you are you are limiting his options. Does if if you, if you spend 70, 80 million quid on a player, they have to be a first choice. You mm. can't you can't bring them in as a kind of as an option. The thing on Salah that I was going to say is I don't know if that if that kind of traditional vision of Real Madrid and Barcelona, particularly as the the pinnacle, is just to do with trophies. I think it's partly to do with the, with the prestige of playing for Real Madrid and Barcelona, which is something that in England we don't necessarily fully comprehend to what extent those two teams to players abroad pretty much all around the world 
represent the absolute top of the game. That they are they are the, the teams that people dream of, dream of playing for. So I would say that playing for Real Madrid is a is an honour that player a lot of players would remember more fondly than, for example, winning the FA Cup. Or, or winning titles with an English team. Yeah, that, that was one of the reasons why I think Sir Alex Ferguson relented with Cristiano Ronaldo, albeit a, a year later, as, as a result of that conversation that they had. He understood that there was something special about Real Madrid to a player like Cristiano Ronaldo, mm. who didn't have the emotional connection to English clubs in the way that English players would. Their emotional connection is to, to the likes of Barcelona and Real Madrid. And, and, and if Sir Alex Ferguson was willing to understand it, then perhaps we all should too. Um, lastly on this, from Hamal Shah. Dear George Mino Pini and Chinch. Greetings. As with most careers, every player will have a dream pathway or realistic pathway, a nightmare pathway or a dream pathway that becomes a nightmare. See P. Coutinho post-January 2018. Thinking this through and applying it to myself, I began to think of how my non-football pathway has developed. I was an average student who did not put in as much effort into training or studying as I should have done, but managed to pull through during my cup finals or GCSE and A-levels to get good grades. My agents or parents pushed me to pursue a professional <laughs> qualification and due to my inconsistency or probably a lack of ambition, after qualifying or turning pro, I applied to a lower league club or small accounting practice as the top six or top four in the accounting world did not want to recruit me. I then moved to a small company out of practice or a left back moving to a slightly more desirable position as a left winger and a pathway to a higher division opened up when I joined a multinational company as a financial accountant. However, a couple of years in, I got struck with an ACL and I was out for 12 months or went travelling to South America. And upon my return, <laughs> I got a transfer into another big club or multinational company, whereupon my career started to take off and I was a regular squad member and played in a few different positions in my seven years there or part of local leadership meetings in various different roles. <laughs> Unfortunately, they did not renew my contract or made me redundant and I joined a smaller sized club or another multinational where I still am and continue to play in different positions. This is my convoluted way of saying that I have had a very average career and just like Chinch, I have been happy just staying at a club and trying to earn my next contract. Uh, that is from Hamal Shah. Excellent work. Hamal, thank you. And um, finally, to the most rewarding email of the week, as once again it proves that we have the power to send a request out into the ether that magically comes back with the work that we couldn't be bothered to do having been done. Last week, we were given the idea of a points per pound league by a listener called Advite. Well, a listener called Angus has responded with a spreadsheet, just as we desired. Angus McLean is his full name, or McLean, I'm assuming McLean. He says this. Hi, all. New listener here. Enjoy the first instalment of the Reachcliffe Chronicles very much. Sexy, compelling drama. He says. Hold on a minute. First instalment? At what point did I say this was going to be an ongoing story there is an assumption uh, is, do people want more though hugh do people want more everybody everybody who has got in touch has assumed that there will be more in oh. many different forms of great high art nikki and i, nikki and I ha have had a meeting and she said <laughs> script meeting she was really helpful she said you're screwed because that's the best you can do and there's nowhere to go with this character <laughs> thanks Angus continues, I was intrigued by the discussion of the points per pound, uh, so the points per pound league, so I whipped up the attached spreadsheet. Cheers, delighted to have found the pod, says Angus. So with this being an audio medium, hopefully Angus will allow me to praise his fine work. For simplicity's sake, and because it would be ungrateful for me to ask for more, uh, the pounds spent in question in Angus's workup are those on player wages only, because they're also a lot easier to find. The idea is that you divide that by the points a team achieves on the pitch and reorder the table to determine the most efficient club in the Premier League. Can we guess? Yes. Um, I would suggest that Leeds are probably the most efficient club in the Premier League. 
Burnley. We've got Burnley. a sentence from a sentence well constructed from Rory, and we've got Chinch saying Burnley. Which well, is, I didn't say Burnley. I said Burnley. That's Burnley. how you've got to how, you, how you've got to say Burnley. Chinch, you got to say Burnley. Burnley. It's like squirrel well, in American. You will Burnley. be squirrel, 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 Burnley. squirrel, squirrel, Burnley, Burnley, or Burnley squirrel. Uh, you'll be delighted and slightly annoyed to hear that Rory, you are right. Yes. Of the points per pound league, but Chinch, they are followed by Burnley. Yes. Brighton, Aston Villa, and then Leicester, who are the only team to have a top six position in both real and PPP tables. Currently. So, Hannah, what, what about what about the, the mighty iron? Uh, right, we're coming to that. We're coming to that. Don't worry. Don't worry. All your questions will be answered. I promise. The rest of the so-called top six, not the current top six, obviously, but the so-called top six are in the PPP bottom six. So, 15th, Spurs. 16th, City. 17th, Chelsea. And then the bottom three going downwards, United, Liverpool and Arsenal. Mm. No team is in the same league and PPP position at time of recording. Mm. West Ham, Rory, are one off. Mm. Sixth and seventh. Okay, yeah. And Wolves, Southampton, and the aforementioned Leicester are just two off the places that they currently have in the real Premier League table. But that, see, that, like all things on spreadsheets, is really interesting because the perception of West Ham is that they've massively overachieved this season and that David Moyes has done a great job. Shouldn't he be given the Man United job again? Isn't, haven't we, weren't we all wrong to say that he was bad at Manchester United when he was bad at Manchester United? Because he's done well, well at West Ham 10 years later. But if you <laughs> accept the proposition the defining factor in lead finish is how much you spend on your wages. West Ham are basically doing as they should be. Remember, they've been running on Premier League wage levels mm. for a long time. So yeah. they're always going to be overtaken in such things by newer Premier League clubs. That's the likes of Leeds, Brighton. Uh, who else was up there? Aston Villa, all, all of course are. And Burnley, yes. Sorry, Burnley. Burnley. Uh, well, thank you to Angus for your hard work and to Advite for the suggestion originally. Uh, stand by both of you for a future New York Times piece ripping this off entirely. Um, that, is, that is entirely possible, yeah. <laughs> Rory is scribbling away furiously. So he's either doing something completely different or... or I wouldn't say furiously, Steve. I'm, I'm very ill. I'm doing it laconically. <laughs> um, it's just a little, a little light, feverish theft. That's all. Uh, which I'm sure both Angus and Advite will be delighted about. Uh, correspondence of any kind to setpiecemenu at gmail.com, even if you're willing for it to be uh, stolen by Rory. Rory, I can send you the spreadsheet, which I imagine will be thrilling for you. Thanks, I won't credit it. Now, as Gareth Southgate spends his final few days deciding just how many right-backs he can take to the Euros, we thought we'd talk about how international coaches construct their squads, because it'll hopefully uh, be both enlightening and also allow us to descend into the kind of pub talk nonsense that tends to dominate at this time, at this kind. Well, you've got to take Ale Alexander-Arnold, haven't you? You've got to take Alexander-Arnold. You've got to take Alexander-Arnold. That's ridiculous. You this can't is... be taking him. You've got to take Grealish. You've got to take Madison. Put them all in the team. Let them off the, let them off the leash. <laughs> There you go. That's, that's, that's your Euro 2021 punditry from the entire British media. Uh, I'll be honest with you, that was going to be about a third of our entire conversation, so yeah. we might have done a very good job of summing that up a little quicker. Uh, this year, however, is a little different in that coaches are now allowed to select a pandemic-friendly 26 players, with Southgate, one of those claiming it actually makes his job unappealingly easy by comparison, so maybe he can take all those right-backs after all. So, today, squad construction. How does an international manager go about putting together a party for a major tournament, and how does he weigh the Competing priorities of best players, best fit, and balance. Can I start by saying I'm not happy about this 26-man squad thing? Uh, we can start there if you like, absolutely. It's just absurd. It's utterly, utterly absurd. I don't understand why 
we need bigger squads because of the pandemic because 23 players already gives you a greater depth than most would require during the course of a tournament because how many players in a 23-man squad don't see any minutes at a major tournament anyway? And it also pulls you into this situation where the difficult decisions don't have to be made in the way that they usually are in terms of perhaps having to sacrifice that ideal of having a quality player for each position by bringing a couple who offer you versatility should it be required and you're also going to get into the realms of of coaches taking players who may or may not be fit but they can carry those extra bodies knowing that they already have the depth of flexibility so Virgil van Dijk would have been a good example of a player who may well have gone to the Euros if he hadn't made the decision himself that that wasn't the best thing for him and going forward for his club, Liverpool. But the Dutch could have thought, you know what? With 26, we can afford to take Virgil van Dijk and hope, because they will get through their group, that in the latter stages of the competition, he may well have been an asset to them against tougher opposition. So I think it's a bit of a shame that some of these quandaries have been taken away from head coaches. Is it correct to say that even though there's 26 players in the squad, it will only be 23 on a match day? Is that correct? You can't name all, you don't put all 26. So you'd have an extra three players on the bench. You still can only name right. 23 on a match day. Really restrictive to only have the 23 available to you. On but, that, but again, so you're not actually, I, I just don't see, I agree with Steve, I just don't see the sense in it at the, all. Well, the but, reason they've done it is obviously because that there is a bubble of, of players and it will be very difficult should there be any injuries during the tournament at, at a point where you're allowed to call out a replacement, that replacement would not be in a position where they could enter the bubble without some sort of quarantining, potentially. Yeah, yeah. So to avoid that from being an issue, they have extended the bubble so that they can absolutely say that everybody within that bubble is available even though there are three more players. So you don't have any sort of travel restrictions or any sort of quarantining issues if there were to be within the normal rules of a squad and replacements thereafter, uh, it being affected by COVID. I think the, the real victim here is is our discussion. Is when we first suggested this, this conversation, it was going to be a really kind of in-depth thing. Like what are the, basically like the value of versatility that within, there is this perception within when, when managers come to select their, their squads for major tournaments that you need to... That, you need to take your best players. You have to take your best players. He's one of our best players. Let's let's take him. But it doesn't really work like that because obviously, if the players don't fit the system, then there's no point taking them. It's a waste. It's it is to an extent a waste of time, especially in the modern game, and allowing for the fact that a lot of the kind of tactical trends that we see in club football will not appear in international competitions because international competitions are 10, 15 years behind the times and tend to kind of favour a very specific tactical setup. You won't there won't be a lot of high pressing this summer, I wouldn't have thought that that just won't happen. Um but you do then have to kind of make that call. You, you're gonna take you you're probably gonna take three goalkeepers. Everyone takes three goalkeepers. I think Steve mentions that you know the number of players who never see any minutes at all. The third goalkeeper never plays, which would to me suggest that the logical thing to do is only to take two goalkeepers. Um but you then have to make certain kind of balancing decisions about whether you take the player who's a bit less good who can play at right back and right wing and maybe could fill in at left back rather than another specialist central midfielder who's much more talented but is a bit less likely to actually see any game time you've got loads of central midfielders 
And with 23, those conversations are all... That, I think that's a really interesting subject about what the, the, the ideal balance for a squad is. Corey, you end up with this perverse situation. I know form might have counted against him anyway, but a perverse situation where an Eric Dyer-type player gets into a 23-man squad but doesn't get into a 26-man squad because you don't need yeah. to have that degree of versatility. Yeah, yeah. You suddenly don't need the kind of the Luis Enrique types who can play everywhere. So you, you take them because you know that they fill various holes for you. Dyer's a great example. That Dyer is a good player for a 23-man squad. I think he'll probably still get into the 26-man squad, but it's not it's not unimaginable that Southgate might go, do you know what, I, I now have space to take an extra holding midfielder and an extra specialist central defender, so I'm not going to take the guy who can do, do both. There's no reason to. Mm-hmm. So let's have it. So let's have a conversation now, now that we've dealt with the twenty-six, and we thought that it's not necessarily going to aid our conversation. Never mind anything else, which frankly pales into insignificance as as a comparison to that. Let's have this conversation as if it was a twenty-three man squad, and then we'll come back. We'll circle back round and yeah. say, "Well, here's a, here's an extra couple who might get in because it's a twenty-six man squad." Because the point of saying it, Rory, is is, is slightly prompted by those kind of conversations that we were mocking just a minute or two ago about you've got to take him. He's surely one of England's best 23 players. Every pundit, by the way, is going to be from somewhere around Lewisham. Yeah, that's where they're all from. <laughs> well, they're all from. And so they use that as an example to, to override any versatility uh, assets that that player might have. Because if, if, if you're taking a Phil Neville and you're not taking a specialist left-back who's really good but might have a slight thigh strain, an Andy Hinchcliffe... Yeah. And, then clearly it's, it's, it makes sense to take Phil Neville, even though Glenn Hoddle took neither, because he had no left-back substitutes in that entire squad, which was madness. Mm-hmm. But there, there is a sense, isn't there, that the equal weight is based on the versatility plus what they offer, and that will always be shouted down by the likes of the fella from Lewisham, who's probably a cab driver as well as being a pundit, who shouts at people all the time. Um, I used to have a, a colleague who would phone in phone-ins, being Gary Green from Chichester, who was a cab driver, and he wasn't. His name was Richard Strapon, and he was a commercial radio disc jockey. Uh, I, might have, I might have ruined that for him. Richard Strapon? Strafon. <laughs> oh, Strafon. There's an guess, F in there. Thank guess, God guess, for that. Guess what his nickname was, Chinch? Ah, uh, I don't want to say. He's like, oh, go on. No, just strap on. It wasn't anything ruder than that. Oh, is that it? <laughs> but oh, so, I thought it was going to be worse. <laughs> so Gary Green is a is a taxi driver from from Chichester, and he is phoning in all these phone ins, and he might be a part time pundit. But he is saying, why are you taking this person? Because they're not one of the best 23 players available to England. And it is a reductive argument that, that completely must be, surely, ignored by the likes of Gareth Southgate. Well, but I think the, the broader problem is it doesn't just devalue versatility, which when you've got limited numbers, which in a 23-man squad is 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 the, the defining factor. It also, I think, is a fundamental misunderstanding of how you build a squad and what you're trying to do with that squad. So England is as good an example as any at the moment. But there is there is a wealth of attacking talent, and you can make a case that you've and you've I've heard it made countless times that people start off. Micah did it on Match of the Day two the, the other day where he he ended up selecting four right backs for England, and his logic wasn't ridiculous. But at the same time, you do have to make those decisions. He'd, he'd already picked three, and he went and then he said, "I'm going to throw Aaron Wan Bissaka into the mix," which by which time I think he was just doing it on purpose to annoy Mark Chapman. But the <laughs> You, you've heard it a lot with sort of Madison, with Grealish, with Sterling, with Foden, with Mount, Kane, Rashford, Sancho. You're suddenly up to eight players and you think, well, hang on. If you take all of those eight players, and I'm sure that there'll be there'll be one or two that I've forgotten who've been mentioned as well, then you are overloading certain positions and you, you can't 
in any way think that there is a feasibly like a logical formation that you could cram all of those players in partly because you often hear it said oh you know against the stronger teams maybe you play Declan Rice oh great Declan Rice will hold the the Spanish attack at bay all by himself but also those players all occupy the same spaces they want to you know Marcus Rashford and Phil Foden both wonderful players but occupy basically the same area they might interpret the role in different ways and personally I think Foden's future is as a central midfielder but for the time being, if you're playing Foden off the left, you can't also play Marcus Rashford off the left, which is where Marcus Rashford is is at his best. Um, Especially as Jaden Sancho's already stood there as well. Exactly, you've got Sancho there. You've got Ster- I mean Sterling. You can make Sterling, a case yeah. is is best as a left winger. So uh, Grealish and and well, yeah, and Grealish. You although Grealish maybe comes into the versatility thing because he he can play centrally. So if we point, take eight right backs and six left sided attackers, we're, we're sorted, aren't we? You're That's flying, it. but it's that dominate it, this tournament without without wishing to harp on about. I've kind of come to the realization of the last few weeks that football is addicted to the era between 2004 and 2012. That is the the peak of football, and we everything basically everything we talked about harks back to then. And I don't want to do that, but if you think about that 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 golden generation in the midfield of Strolls, Lampard, and Gerrard. The number of kind of contortions that various managers got themselves into to try and play all three of those players in midfield because nobody was prepared to accept that you can't and i think a lot of that thinking still infects england to an extent there's that there's a refusal to understand almost amongst the kind of punditocracy the commentariat that that sometimes you have to you have to leave players who are good at home because you don't need four players who can play on the left. That versatility applies in attack as well, and that ultimately the system has to be the well, that, the I, kind I, of king. I know, I know. Paul Gascoigne's Paul Gascoigne's probably not the best person to ask about the, the makeup of it. He was talking about a starting eleven or a team, but in essence, it's the same thing about a squad. And he said, "You find your best eleven players and make a team out of them." And to me, that's absolutely not what you do. Yeah, that's the you have a way of playing do. and get the very best players to play in that system. Well, the example I always use is, is Italy in 2006 when they had Del Piero and Totti and they'd been struggling for years to work out how to get these two sort of era-defining players into the same team and Lippi came along and went, well, well you don't. That's yeah. the answer. Just just don't. And he came up with this that weird kind of, was it Clements and Shilton who used to alternate as England goalkeeper? Mm. But he did the same with Totti and Del Piero that sort of Del Piero would start a game then Totti would come on and then vice versa. And even that's not perfect. I think when you've got two players that good, you can understand why he wanted to shoehorn some sort of solution. You, you, international managers aren't employed to, to come up with cutting edge tactics anymore. That's not their job. They're not employed to coach players on, on the finer elements of technique. That's not their job. What they're employed to do is to make difficult decisions and to have that that kind of in- inherent understanding of how the balance of a team and the balance of a squad works, the, the starting point for that has to be, and this would be my, my one query with England, which I, I want to assure you all is a storyline this summer that I have literally no emotional investment in. Um, but the problem that England have had, well, might have, because they've got the, the, the technical players, the speed, the talent, the, all that stuff to, to win the Euros, do they have a system which provides the blueprint by which they select everything? Because that's what I still don't know. Is there not a possibility that if England get through the group, but in kind of disappointing fashion, that they suddenly decide they're going to play a completely different system, which then the players have to relearn, have to not relearn, but they have to kind of fine tune their game to, to fit, which costs you your, your, your momentum. I think the key thing with international football is you, you go into a tournament knowing how you're going to play and you choose the squad that best 
fits that system. You don't say, here are the 23 most talented players we've got. They're in the squad. Let's see what we can do. If you look at the Belgium squad, that Belgium squad is a great example of that. We're playing with a back three. They pick five defenders, basically five centre-halves, because we're playing with a back three. We know that's our best system. We've got a, a wealth of, of players, midfield players, attackers. So the structure of their squad is absolutely perfect for the way that they play. It doesn't Oh, we might have to change to a back four. They're not going to do that. They picked a yeah. squad to play their way. But that's, yeah, they even but... separated. They even separated central defenders and mm. fullbacks, wingbacks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Within yes. the squad list, they were defined yeah. differently. Yeah, yeah. But, but Gareth Southgate hasn't made that decision yet, has he? He has been flirting with and seems to have two systems in mind, depending on the strength of the opposition: a four-three-three or a three-four-three or a three-four-two-one. So, given that he has that versatility, so there's a versatility versatility in system. Is he only afforded that versatility because of the versatility of the players that he picks? in the first place because he won't be able to get one without the other take for example Kyle Walker now again in a 26 man squad you can probably ensure yourselves against that but if you are well, ensure yourselves against Kyle Walker, Kyle Walker yeah. <laughs> to ensure yourself against I think, Kyle I think Walker that comes under active... seventh defender that's <laughs> an that expensive comes... policy right there I think that comes, comes under active guard doesn't it Kyle Walker <laughs> <laughs> but if Kyle Walker is your player that you have decided that that saves you a place because he can play right wing back right back and also right hand sided centre back of a three then clearly it's the, it's the it's the slightly more effective Eric Dyer because he actually provides you with that ability to do that. In a 26-man squad, you probably don't need that, but he's going to go anyway for, for reasons that he's one of the right-backs. So can you understand that, that actually Gareth Southgate is, is relying on the versatility of those players to give him a versatility of system so that he's able to go in with more ideas and different plans depending on how England do in the tournament? But have I misremembered the 2018 World Cup? Did England not reach... Because England weren't one of the, the four best teams at the World Cup, but they reached the semi-finals because they knew what they were doing. Exactly. They stuck yeah. to it. They had a little bit of good fortune along the way, but the, 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 the strength of the system or the preparation for the way they were going to play was fundamental to, to England. I mean, that's, yes, that's, I mean, all, that, hang on, that, that's all relevant, but it says here that they got to the semi-finals because they played Sweden in the quarter-finals and not someone good. As I said, a little bit of luck along the <laughs> so way. Actually, actually, thinking, oh, overthinking, and think, well, we need to be able to play a back four or a back three, we need loads of versatility. Then you start to adapt the squad that you pick to say, well, Belgium haven't done that. They played the same way. For, I know they've got probably clearly better players, man for man, than England have. But again, having a defined style of play, which we saw in the World Cup, can work because England... Regardless of how they play, you wouldn't expect them to win the competition, would you? So why not pick the most defined way of playing that brings the best out of, and then say, right, I'm going to pick Rashford and I'm not going to take somebody else. I'm going to, this, as a coach, you've got to make those strong decisions. And surely, yes, it is defined by how many players you have, available, who's fit and available. But then you've got to say, well, I'm a, this, is the, this is the best way of playing for this for, for me, so I pick players to play that way. Having versatility constantly and say, well, I need Kyle Walker to play three different positions. Why don't you just have a defect? And is he the best player as a wing back or as a centre? Pick someone to play those positions. Just very think, quickly to go back no. to, the, to the point that Rory was making about the golden generation and that, that, that period under Sven Jorn Eriksson in particular. He was so set in the way that he wanted to play, which he thought was a reflection on how the, the English players in the Premier League wanted to play, 4 4 2, that he didn't have the versatility of thought to be able to say, well, do you know what? I can play Paul Scholes here. I can play uh, Gerard and Lampard ahead of him in the three in midfield. I can play Beckham Wire. I can play a 4 5 1. Oh, I've suddenly got everybody in the team. But because he was not 
not versatile because he wanted to have the structure that you spoke about, Chinch. It, it, it ended up meaning that he didn't have the ability to find the best way of getting those players mm -hmm. into a system. So there is a balance to be struck. Yes, go in with a system and then have the players reflect that. But you can also have some sort of middle ground, can you not, where you can have a versatility of system to allow those players to play. And all Gareth Southgate's doing is realising that actually those players are versatile enough to be able to give me the versatility of system that allows me to have two formations going in to a, a major tournament and that can be successful too but can't this, it? this 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 uh, we've sort of got an extension now with the the discussion over how you're going to fit 30 players into a, a 26 man squad for England it's an extension of what was an issue during the the golden generation in terms of the starting at starting 11 because that that whole Gerard and Lampard thing what I could never understand about it was that what a luxury to be able to start the game with one of those players on the field and finish it with the other. How demoralising mm. would that be for an opponent if England were able to take off one world-class central midfielder after 60 minutes and replace him with somebody who was equally as good rather than having to downgrade because your first choice had run themselves Ah, into so you start with a slightly crapper team. <laughs> it's, the, it's the power of the substitutes. No chinch. No you start you with a very strong, strong team, team with very good players to come make, and replace them. And you make good substitutions. So it's the power of and, the substitute. Interesting. Well, it's, that's Eddie Jones yeah. at Rugby Union, isn't it? That's his starters and his finishers. He, mm. he has those players on the bench, which he, Rory is... It's both coughing and also looking like he's going to vomit at the thought of me bringing up rugby that's, union. That's not the vaccine. I'm just allergic to rugby union. <laughs> Somebody get him a vaccine against rugby union so he doesn't have to hear it. But, but that's the, the principle that Eddie Jones has as the England rugby union head coach. He says they are not replacements. They are not substitutes. They are finishers. And he brings on a player of equal, almost equal standing to allow his team at the time where the last 20 minutes everybody else is tiring to maintain that kind of consistency and intensity to be able for, for, for England to win more games than they do. Can we talk about France? Yep. Lovely the country. Rug, rugby union team. The rugby union team. Let's talk about Philippe Santandre. The, <laughs> is, is he still playing? No, he's the, about 55. <laughs> he has been and gone as the French national His coach. His son's retired. <laughs> the... He's died he, he, he and been though, sainted again by the Pope. I like how we... Um, I liked how he just ran forward with the ball in his hands all the time. The uh, so the the thing with the French, the French are the, is the one the French are the one country who have a depth of talent. I think full of Chinch is wrong. I don't think the Belgians have got the same level of talent in their squad as England do. I think England have got are second only to the French in terms of the number of players they've got available to call up. And I am the the archetypal England torture downer, so I don't I don't say that lightly. Um, the thing with the French is that the French would basically send like four teams who could win the Euros. They've got so many players that it's slightly absurd. They would effectively form a second nation and maybe meet each other in the final. That's how good the French are. But they still find a place for Olivier, for Olivier Giroud, which is an acknowledgement from Deschamps that you, you need alternatives, that you need some sort of versatility in the way that you play. And I think we get a bit bogged down in formations. I don't think that getting Kyle Walker to tuck in a bit so that... Kieran Trippier can play right wing back is requires a vast sort of recalibration of thought from the players. But I think that you need that that balance between this is the basic blueprint of how we play, this is what we're trying to do. 
all of the players in the squad have got to have some sort of role in this system combined with we maybe need a little bit of versatility in in how we approach our, you know how we how we build our build our attack so maybe sometimes it'll be Giroud as the target man sometimes it won't be it might be Griezmann playing up front on his own and that will will try and play a slightly more kind of ground orientated game i can't think properly uh the the difference You're is on a war it, footing. That, 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 it's a ground assault. Yeah, it's a ground assault. You know, I forget what. How do you talk about football? Tiki taka. Just say that, and <laughs> just mention false nine or play on the counter. Safe. Yeah, yeah, yeah false nine's inverted winners. Crack on. Um, and the French. I mean, the French don't really have a defined. They don't have like a philosophical style in the way that the Spanish did in 2010, or or that the Germans did even in 2014. They're not. The French are not sort of the the standard bearers of some great shift in in footballs kind of most sophisticated approach. They're just quite a pragmatic, reasonably dour, very hardworking and exceedingly talented team. But they recognise that just because Olivier Giroud is probably not in the top 50 most talented players in France doesn't mean that he can't play a vital role. Whereas in England, I think we, we're too, we're almost too bogged down a bit with the kind of the, ba- the idea of base talent, that you have to have a certain amount of talent to warrant a place. And that thought that, okay, actually, do you know what? I can see why he's taking him. I can see what what your thinking is, the circumstances in which you might need a player like that. I'm not sure Southgate's quite quite got that nailed down. I know that he's got two, he's obviously got two formations in mind, which are not that you know, they're not overwhelmingly different or anything like that. But I don't know whether he's got that kind of that sense of this is what I do with this player. So that all the conversation about Madison. Like England should take Madison. You've got to take Madison. He's one of the best players in the country. He's, he's so creative. He doesn't start the cup final ahead of Iosi Perez, but he's just such a great player. But what are you going to do with Madison? Like, what's your vision for what James Madison does? Because he just does the post-match interviews, Ross. Yeah, maybe that's just it. Bring yeah, him out fair. for the post-match. Like the, the Carrick role. Like, put, just play Madison for the last five minutes so he can do the mix zone. Fine. But is this with, with with all of those other players who you could you can select? You need to kind of make a case for why Madison might have to go or why Grealish has to go or why whoever it's Sancho has to go because you could leave any of them. And I don't know if if Southgate necessarily has that vision of in this circumstance, I use this player. Is it is it partly to do and, and is this the challenge for somebody in Gareth Southgate's position is that it's the optics of the selection which become a big quandary for him? Because if you're saying... I can. I'm. I'm going to take two right backs. I'm going to take my best two right backs. Kyle Walker probably doesn't go, but then you've got to deal with the. Oh well, he's left out. Championship winning, versatile right back slash right sided central defender slash right wing back, and and how foolish is that? The, the, the cogs must be turning ferociously in coaches' minds at this stage, not in terms of picking the right squad or the squad that they think is the best squad available, but how that is going to be viewed and how you justify your selections. And do you do you think the three extra players will all be midfielders and attackers for most of the squads? Those extra three players, do you think that's that will give them a little bit of an out? You can maybe take you can take everybody, or those three extra players can be ones that maybe the public would say Yes, at least you've taken him. Does that give the coaches a bit of an out? Or and will they all be creative attacking players? That's a sensible thing to do here. For, if you remember back when the, the England have got more talent now, as Rory mentioned, England have got more talent now than they have done at several opportunities to dis- have this discussion in the past. 
when this discussion might have eventually alighted on the idea of somebody like Theo Walcott going at the age of four or, you know, Rio Ferdinand going for experience at Euro, Euro um, 96. Because England have enough talent to fill 23, we're actually having a slightly different discussion because you are going to have to leave behind players who are incredibly good and would have got into any of those squads on merit and not, you know, at any age. So we're in the situation now with the 26 that you could have that argument legitimately. So, for example, somebody like Jude Bellingham, who may well have gone in the 23 anyway, definitely goes in the 26 for that additional reason, mm. that they can get that experience, a player who is likely to be included in many squads in the future and might have just missed out because of there being enough central midfield players on the plane already for England. So that there is an opportunity there to think in a way that England managers have in the past, wrongly, this time. I think for most countries, those extra three spots will be a mixture between players who might have missed out because of injury and who might be fit enough for the tournament. And I think it might be that that gets Henderson into the England squad. Um, cover for areas where you're weakest. So central midfield is probably England's great weak spot, but obviously Spain will have a different one. France have got a different one. Well, France don't really have a different one. The Germans might be short in, you know, short of, well, the Germans are short of a striker. Um, or the team of Werner will have to do it and just hope for the best. Um, the Italians might be lacking fullback, so they might take one extra one just in case. Uh, and then I think you might see that there's a few taking a kind of a wild card younger attacker, just as someone who who would have been on the fringes of the squad but would have been a gamble. That gamble is now a sure thing. So you've got space for them. You might as well take them. It'll it'll be used by different countries in different ways. But I would I wouldn't be surprised if if it's kind of in if it leans towards players who aren't fully fit but then that, that that is another reason I'm not a big fan of the extension to 26 is that you're always going to have discussions during and after a tournament especially when things have gone badly about the players left at home and or oh, if you could go back you know would you have would you have chosen a different squad would you have taken that player chinch in 1998 mm. now no. you're going to find yourself or head coaches are going to find themselves in situations where the criticism will be, you took that player and still didn't use them. So that, I, I, don't, that's a, I just don't think it's helpful in many ways. There's someone like Gareth Southgate, because the scrutiny will be, well, do you regret not giving Jude Bellingham an opportunity to, to show what he could do? Do you regret taking Jordan Henderson and not throwing him in because of his experience? Might the game have gone a little bit differently if you had someone with greater diligence on the field at the time. So it's, it's unhelpful and it muddies the waters. Hmm. Does anybody have a 23 in mind? Well, a, a kind of a, a balance of how you do it. Yeah, because if, if we should put our money where our mouths are. Well, it's, it's difficult because it depends. It, this, this is a massive cop out. It depends to an extent on, on where your strengths are and it changes from system to system. But I would have said that it's quite sensible I think ideally you, you probably take three goalkeepers. That's the convention. You I take think three aren't, goalkeepers. You, aren't you required to Possibly. take three? I think I think you're required to because but otherwise other others would circumvent that with a loophole. So let's say, well, or you take Phil Jadielka. The um, <laughs> hang on, so a if you've already got Kyle Walker in there. He's been in goal, so there's another string to his bow. So if you if you assume tw- you've got twenty outfield players to play with, I think you take seven defenders. With the hope that one of one you t- within that you have one player like Eric Dyer or Jan Vertonghen who can play at centre half and in a full back role. I think that's what that which isn't 
that that's not rare to have players Is he like that. Tongan, but... Has he got English citizenship now? We're not. We're not doing this just... That gives England a real chance. I didn't realise that happened. We're not doing this just for England, Chinch. Oh, we, we are. We are an international podcast. Oh, is he staying with Belgium? He stay. He remains with Belgium. What a fool! <laughs> Proudly Belgian. So that takes you up to to ten players in total, including the goalkeepers. And within that, you'd you'd, you'd ideally have probably two specialist fullbacks on one side, one specialist fullback on another, and one defender who can fill in both as a backup centre half and a fullback. And then the difficulty is if you well, if you're assuming it's three, if if you assuming it's some variation on four three three, which it will be for most countries, you've got. That's a terrible. 13 players, of which I'd say you take six midfielders, six attackers, and one who can maybe fill in in both roles. So Grealish would be quite a good example of that with England. You could, you could play Grealish as a central midfielder, Mason, Mason Mount as well. You could play either Grealish or Mason Mount as a central midfielder. You could play Grealish or Mason Mount in a slightly more attacking role. Within that basic framework... It depends a little bit on how you want to play and where your strengths lie. So England, England have got a lot of of wide forwards who warrant inclusion. But to be perfectly honest, if you particularly if you count Rashford as a wide forward rather than a, as a pure nine, there's not that many central strikers beyond Harry Kane who you think are definite inclusions. Or would it be Calvert Lewin and then nobody else? Yeah, I mean, would you count Greenwood as a central striker? Well, Greenwood gets in a 26, but he, I don't think he gets in a 23. No, no. Um, and it's the, it's There's the, another because... benefit of the 26, if you're thinking about the possible yeah. upsides of a 26. Having somebody like Mason Greenwood in that squad is of value. But if it's in a 23, and this is where it gets to the Gary Green from Chichester, he's like, he's got to go, he's got to go, he's got to go. Well, if he goes, that means somebody else doesn't. And if Greenwood goes in a 23, then you're probably not taking Sancho. For example, yeah. mm-hmm. you can't take both. But that's this... the bit that's, that's lost a lot is that if you take what in a, in a twenty three, if you, in a, to an extent in a twenty six, if you take one player, then somebody else doesn't go. That's the bit that that that, that conversation always ignores. And this, this thing about and I know it's not relevant this summer, but this thing about tournament experience and the benefit of that to younger players falls down with how often talented young players don't go to under-21s championships because they are part of the extended squad for the major competition that summer. So if, 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 another that's another aspect of, you know, when you're talking about the likes of Bellingham, who's been excellent for Dortmund, you're talking about Greenwood for United, and then you're saying, ah, oh, yeah, but you, 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 you throw them into the 26 just so they can be there and, and soak it all in. Well, in the past, we've not taken players like that to tournaments where they would have played every minute and could have been the difference between England going out in the group stage and actually going on to win the whole thing. If anyone heard any scratching during Steve's comments, it, I don't think it was a squirrel chewing through any squirrel. cabling, but squirrel. Rory, what were you doing? Were you scribbling? You were crossing something just, out? Just Jaden Sancho just, out. Is that what scribbling. you were doing? I like to write whilst I'm, whilst I'm thinking. Chinch, that's all. I'm a very kind of... Ah, so you're rinking. Paper, yeah. You're rinking. I like um, that. Rin- right, of course, how much how much comes into to very rubber. recent performances? <laughs> can rub it out. It's fine. Just thoughts. Just some idle thoughts, Chinch. They'll all be actually, better on Friday. Just drawing up a script. Um, use use the other end. The, the the bit the bit with the nib in it, Rory, because you seem to be trying to to, to use the. The bit with the rubber to, to does that it. not is that not how it works? I'm very ill. I don't know how he's, he's trying to, to make the equipment. point. He's trying to make the point visually that to put somebody in, you have to firstly rub somebody, rub somebody out. The I mean, far be it from me to come up with an incredibly profound metaphor, but I would say that squad selection is much like this mechanical pencil. <laughs> that 
that what what it puts down it also removes and i think that's a great point to end the podcast uh, well, I, the, the one thing i was going to say just just to finish it because i'm sure everybody wants this he's to got, rory's got somewhere to be <laughs> That, on that I, bombshell, on that don't bombshell, really. I, I invoked Jose Mourinho at the beginning, who, who did say back in the mid two thousands, which was funny enough, the same time as the golden generation for England, is that he wanted his Chelsea squad at the time, given that money seemed to be mm. no ob- object, to have a great player, um, two great players in every position. Can you translate that to an international squad? You've already got three goalkeepers, but in the twenty that you have remaining of a twenty three man squad, you have ten outfield players times two. The maths work, but does the squad construction work to go in with that idea? Two left backs, two right backs, four centre backs, etc. etc. It works more easily in defence than it does in midfield and attack. And I think that's a little bit that is that is not talked about enough that you can take you can fulfil your defensive quota just about with specialists. You can say, right, we've got four centre halves, two right backs, two left backs, fine, everyone's covered. We've got a backup in case of injury or suspension. I think in midfield and attack where formations are a bit more fluid and roles are a bit more fluid. Um, so yeah, for example, I was asked to choose a team of the year by the radio the other day. And it's quite hard in midfield because my, my instinct when selecting a team of the year is to think, well, it's got, it's got to have some sort of balance. I'm not Garth Crooks. I'm not gonna play Raheem Sterling as a, as a left back just to shoehorn him in. <laughs> So you kind of think, right, who's, the be- who's been the best holding midfielder this season? Fernandinho, Kante, you can make a case for Fabinho. They've all had really good seasons. But then they've not had a better season than Gundogan, De Bruyne, Mason Mount, Jack Grealish. So at some point, you have to kind of make that call. Because they're both midfield. They're all midfield. But do you a start with the players or the system, Rory, when you're doing a team of the season? Where do you- what's your starting point? I choose the system. And, system. And because that's... Yeah, because you don't want to. You, if because you could end up with eleven goalkeepers if you're choosing the best eleven players, it's th- th- theoretically possible that they'd all be strikers or they'd all be winners. So did you, so you go four three three? Did you? you go four three three? Does that I feel that's the dominant the dominant philosophy at the moment? I hate hate predictions, hate teams of the season. They're meaningless and pointless. But I think it's the similar principle with with selecting an international squad and probably applies. We should probably do this for club squads as well. You know, like, what's the ideal balance in a club squad? Is that in midfield and attack, you have to think a little bit about that balance. So you could make a case that you only take five mid- central, if you're in a 4-3-3, you only take five central midfielders because you might not need all five if they're all quite similar. You And that would then free you up a little bit to take more, to make kind of more hay with your attacking lineup. And again, if you've got lots of wide forwards, maybe you select that differently to... So if you've got lots of central strikers, maybe you have to change the way the way that you you build the squad depending on your your strengths and weaknesses. Quick question: Connor Cody, yay or nay? Well, that funnily enough, that depends on whether you are taking four centre backs. Because if you mm-hmm. are thinking about this principle of having twenty outfield players, ten times two, and you do need a fourth centre back, that's that's where you actually come to the weakest point of Gareth Southgate's potential squad. If there are twenty-three, is it a Michael Keane? Is it a Connor Cody? Is it mm-hmm. an Eric Dyer, for example? Because if you th- if you think about England, it's 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 fairly simple in that you decide, and and obviously this is not what Gareth Southgate will do because he, there will be nuance. But if you're thinking about two right backs you might decide that it's Walker and Trippier you might decide that it's Trent Alexander-Arnold and Walker you know you've got two then you've got Chilwell and Shaw on the left you've got your four centre-backs and the fourth one is the one where you have the conversation about because you've got Maguire uh, Stones and I suppose Mings and then potentially a fourth and then if you go into the three in midfield you can you can say well it's going to be Rice and Calvin Phillips 
Then you've got your two eights. That'll be Mason Mount, Jack Grealish, maybe, to, to squeeze him in. And then you've got two more eights. And then on the right, you've got Sancho and Sterling. And on the left, you've got Rashford and Foden. Foden and then you've got yeah. Harry Kane and Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Mm. So the, the, the principle does work, but then you've got... The, the issue is, is where do you put somebody like Kyle Walker? Well, you put him in as a centre-back come right back, which frees you up potentially more of those positions further forward. Mm-hmm. And that's where the regimented 20, as in 10 times 2, doesn't work. But yeah. it works to the favour of the international coach if he has the versatility of those players on so offer. Do, do you feel that's what he'll, he'll, he'll take a versatile defender to free up more attacking positions? I think that, I think that makes sense. Sens- I think that's the sensible thing to do. I, yeah. I think... Do, it, it shouldn't be too hard. England are quite lucky. That so got Cody's water. actually helped him out because Cody has been playing in the back four for Wolves this season. So Cody, in theory, if Maguire was injured, you could say, well, actually, he's a player that can play in a three or a four. So he's, again, yeah. he's got that versatility. Yeah. Mm. But I think England are lucky in the sense that Walker is a fullback, a specialist fullback who can play at centre-half. Mm. But only most, in a three, not as most, a two, which is where yeah. it becomes slightly muddied. Most countries have the opposite, where you have someone like Vertonghen who can play as a fullback but is actually a, a but, but is a centre back, and that that changes the way you attack a little bit. You're right, Walker. You wouldn't trust Walker necessarily to play as a centre back in a two, although it shouldn't be impossible. To be perfectly honest, just he, to repeat, just to repeat the very recent government uh, message, or at least the experts who are trying to advise the government, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Yeah. And just because you can p- play Carl Walker at the heart of England's defence really doesn't mean that you should. And, and the final point to make is that Gareth Southgate doesn't like the idea of the 26. We did circle back round several times. He didn't like the idea of the 26 because it reduces the dexterity that an international coach needs to show at this exact moment. This is where they earn their corn secondarily only to what happens on the pitch in major tournaments. So can you understand why he rejects the idea of the 26, even though he's going to, I imagine, choose 26 and take advantage of it? Because it lessens the skills that he has to display in trying to concoct a squad constructed in the right manner. I would imagine that he doesn't like it for the very reasons that I was saying, or one of the reasons I was saying that I don't like it, is that it makes it a lot harder for him to justify some of his decisions because with a 23, he has got that versatility get-out-of-jail-free card, which suddenly 26 means he doesn't have. And there might be, even with a 26, one or two very talented players who miss out. And it's those players that are going to be the ones most discussed when the squad is named. It is time for Nevermind Jack and Ori. What a soccer story. This is an Andy Tells Tale from his playing or broadcasting days with all adult behaviour and libel-worthy details removed. Yeah, I, I thought I'd give you a kind of a taste of my of the heady lifestyle that I that I live. Um, recently, I've had a bit of a, I think it's fair to call it a glut of fan mail. It's a veritable avalanche of adoration has come through my my letterbox. Um, I'm not sure how these people are getting my home address. It is slightly worrying, but so far... Are they just no, writing church fork on the... On <laughs> yeah, the, like, things have gone, things have gone relatively well. The latest correspondent, again, just fell on the, uh, on the, on the doormat this morning. Uh, my latest correspondent, he, he hails from Beijing, China. But actually, he's studying at the University of Central Lancashire. So again, it's just... I have this pull on people from around the world and down the road as well. And I just wanted to read you maybe some of the lines from this excellent piece of fan mail. As fan mail goes, this is, this is A1 stuff here. 
can you just um, uh, clarify before you start? What is the name on the envelope? Is it definitely Andy Hinchcliffe? Um, can I just let's have a look? It's not Ian Dowie. Uh, Don Goodman. Don Goodman. No, 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 no. It's got my. No, no, it's all correct. It's all yep. correct. It is my name. Fourteen Fs in Hinchcliffe, but anyway, it's definitely meant for me. I won't mention the person's name clearly because it's uh, it's all about anonymity, isn't it? But uh, he says, uh, yes, he's studying the University of Central Lancashire. And my hobby is collecting signatures from many great football players and you. <laughs> I know that you had a really great football career and had a huge contribution to Everton, Man City, Wednesday and the England national team. Doesn't mention seven caps. <laughs> I've watched your brilliant headed goal against Man United. Brilliant in capital letters. And know that you helped Everton win the FA Cup in 1995. I, I pretty much won the cup for them. Still helped. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. And it's good to say, I will never share your address with other people, which I think is wonderful. They Plus understand. touch. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and in the end, it's, it's saying, please come to China. Take a tour of China. We would welcome you with open arms. Clearly, I never, th I didn't think that my career and my persona would stretch as far as China, but I'm getting invited over there. So maybe we should... We, I could take you along with me as my Well, this time you could go and visit maybe, the wall. Just to, yeah. No, I, visit, I visited the wall last time. I just didn't look at it. So that's the only <laughs> part I was playing cards. I had a very, very good hand. Um, David Hurst had a very poor hand. So, yeah. So, again, this is the kind of thing that I get on a, on a regular basis. But it's just wonderful that my, I am touching people in the best possible way around the globe. <laughs> I cannot believe that anyone in China remembers your contribution to Sheffield Wednesday. Oh... I, I think I, clearly they do because I've got it here. It's written down. It's written down. I didn't write this. Someone else wrote this. So it's here in black and white. I can send it to you. I'll, I'll email it to you. I'll is email it, it to Chinch, you. Is, it, Chinch, is there a drawing on that piece of paper? Uh, no, it's all handwriting. I just circled the main bits that I wanted oh, to. Oh, okay, uh, right, yeah. The yeah. rest of it is there's some great stuff in there as well, but I, I, I want to keep that to, to myself and not really, not really spread it around. So you see already, and what I tend to, I don't just sign the pictures that they send me. Actually, in a recent one, I got a picture of Jonathan Woodgate, which I didn't know whether to sign it and send it back. I actually tore it up and put it in the bin, but I thought, that's not me. Poor old Jonathan getting mistaken for me. That's horrible, isn't it? So again, yeah, I, I do like to answer these letters as well. So I will give a very personal reply as well as signing the tremendous pictures that they sent. But this is, and it must be going around the community, the signature collecting community, because these the, virtually every day there's at least one coming, coming to your house yes how coming do they to get my your address house. how do they get your address it must be something to do i'm not gonna don't tell people more people how to do it because the, my poor old postman is his sack is going to be so heavy he'll be dragging it up my driveway if i give my you know the reason why people can write to me but it's wonderful that people are just again from all over the world mainly from from cheshire but you know, it, they are, they're, they're, they're streaming in. And I, I, I don't know why, but isn't it? And they're the same kind of pictures as well. That's the problem. It's the same. The topless ones. Not the Imagine if I got sent those, that'd be really worrying, wouldn't it? But are you, hmm. are you receiving like menacing kidnap letters and assuming it's fan mail? Not, <laughs> how disturbed should I be when they're cutting letters out of newspapers and sending them? That's to never me? a that, great is sign. That, is that not? Is that a no. worry? Because I thought, well, that's really inventive. Look at that. It's like a, it's like a, a tapestry they put a together. But that is, it's where it goes from there. But so far, so good. I must have had at least between 14 and 16 letters. And so far, <laughs> on balance, all positive, 
I've reacted well to them. Hopefully it will continue. But the community, the word must be going around. Hinchcliffe with 14 Fs will reply to anything you send to his home. I don't know whether I'm more confused by the fact that they've got your home address mm. or that they have heard of you. Oh, they'll have heard of me, all right. There's no doubt about that. It's the, it's the getting the home address. I'm just waiting for the first person to turn up. Actually, there was a guy who was, I was out uh, doing some gardening work, doing some weeding the other day, and a guy walked past a couple of times with his dog and his girlfriend. They were two different things. And uh, <laughs> he, he, I could tell he was looking to catch my eye. <laughs> was, I'll just carry on. I'll just carry on. He was looking to. He had a dog and there. he had a girlfriend. <laughs> Two different things completely. She was a lovely lady. The dog bit if he. Uh, but he, he said he was walking past and past. I thought, what's going on here? He must really like this section of road. And then he caught my eye and he said, Are you not commentating today? No, I'm weeding the garden. <laughs> And then he started talking about Newcastle and the excellent Man City-Newcastle game, which I'd done. And clearly, he just wanted to make contact with me. I did back off slightly, but in the end, because I had a kind of a leaf blower in my hand, I could have just you know, blasted his face if he made a move on me. But people are starting <laughs> to flock towards Chinfork now, which is, is getting slightly worrying. But we'll, we'll see. Maybe I should buy a gun. I don't know. What do you think? Cattle prod. Keep your correspondence coming to setpiecemenu at gmail.com or indeed directly to Andy Hinchcliffe at number... No. Please subscribe, <laughs> please subscribe, share, rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Stephen, to Rory and Andy and to you all for listening. We'll be back with another Set Piece Menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed. Have you guys ever got fan mail? Stupid question, really. But have you? Have you ever got anything... I used to get the. If opposite you have to think about mail. it, clearly the answer is no. Yeah, I, I found this thing called Twitter, which is a um, basically a mechanism by which hate mail is delivered immediately to your phone. <laughs> Nobody has to catch your eye as you're passing by no. once or twice in the day with both girlfriend and indeed dog. I was um, I was with my close personal friend Michael Richards in Harrogate not long ago, and he he is recognised. He was recognised hanging, hanging out socially. He was just having having lunch. Um, and it, I, oh, I, think he, I see. It's like that, is it? He was. Rec I'm trying to form. Like we had our own little media community in Manchester, and now that I've moved back to Yorkshire, I'm trying to form my own little media community here. I'm going to invite Michael Dawson, maybe. Um, uh, that's it. Just me, Michael, and Michael Dawson. Well, Dan Danny Mills lives in Harrogate. Danny right. Mills, maybe that's Dareth after the summer when he's at a loose end. Uh, the because he's been sacked. No, not really. <laughs> I like Dareth. Uh, the and he he was recognised like four or five times. And that's in Harrogate, which is not football country and where everyone's very middle class. So would so would so when of... they recognised, did they come over and speak to him? Few did, yeah. What did you did. do? What did you just, um, just I've got a story step I away you, and I smile? Tell you or... what, I've got a story I can tell you off air that was very funny, but I, I don't I don't <laughs> want to broadcast it. It's not my story to tell. Um, the you know, I just felt a bit embarrassed, but I also felt a bit sorry for Micah to be honest, because it's it's quite annoying. Like he's just trying to go, out, go about his business and people keep stopping him. Leave him alone. Did he have his big hat on? He did. He was wearing a hat and a hood to to prevent dark glasses. To prevent recognition. No, it's it's Yorkshire in spring. There's no sunshine. So so when they come over to speak to Micah, do you, and they they look at you and think, "Who's that?" I think they what think you, I'm some sort what of. Do you, do you just do you just move into the shadows? Or... I think they think I'm some sort of attendant. Yeah. To be honest, like I'm I'm a sort PA of PA or something. Well, like an adjutant, I think, rather than yeah. adjutant. I'm just PA, there to yeah, kind of PA, just trying PA. to carry a bag or you know maybe order a sandwich, taste his food, that sort of thing. <laughs>